Welcome back to the Social Currency Marketing Podcast. Thanks for being here. I am Jess Jensen, and joining me live is my friend, Tuck Ross. How are you? Good. I'm good. And we're actually sitting here right next to each other for the first time ever in recording the show. Yes. Took us 30 episodes to finally get together. <laughs> right? We're not FaceTiming. So that's what we're you actually... look like. Hey, it's nice to see you in real real life. Um, yeah, but we're actually here on Grounds Pepperdine Irvine campus recording. We're actually speaking tonight uh, you know, to some uh, prospective students and alumni and the rest of that uh, about uh, our careers and such things. So very cool to come back to the alma mater and actually, you know, reconnect. Yeah. And like, what a perfect place to actually have a live episode is where it all started. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Not sponsored at all, but we just love Pepperdine. So we that's, do. you know, why we're here doing Yay. the thing. A distinguished alumni series. <laughs> <laughs> so distinguished. Yes, absolutely. Um, cool. So, hey, uh, if you guys are just joining us for the first time, Social Currency, all about your digital marketing, social media strategies uh, that you can use right now, taking everything from the news uh, and helping you apply it for your business and making it actionable, making it something that you can take uh, into the boardroom, into your meetings and think about how do you tackle these topics that are happening real time in a real way. Yep. Yep. And today we are going to jump in, uh, on Facebook. We've talked about Facebook, of course, over the course of many episodes and even had dedicated episodes to Facebook versus Instagram way back in the beginning, season one. But there's a lot of news right now about Facebook um, making a, a pretty, uh, to use a very commonly used tech industry term, pivot and um, changing from being, uh, let's call it town square oriented or sort of broadcast communication to more of a living room orientation or uh, more private communication. So we've got a couple articles and a couple sort of um, subtopics within this notion of Facebook's pivot. But where do you want to start? I I think it's just real quick to, you know, ground everyone in what's going on with Facebook and what's happened in the last little bit here. Probably last year, right? So um, you guys are probably familiar and heard, but Facebook's been in, in all kinds of hot water over everything from privacy violations today, you know, even criminal charges, you know, being investigated against how they're using data with partners. Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting. And lots of talk about should they be more regulated? Should they be, you know, challenged from the perspective of them combining what are three of the most massive platforms on the planet in terms of not only social, but digital data gathering, all the privacy challenges with this, which we're going to address in, in this episode, and thinking about what what does Facebook really mean, right? It is the most powerful ad platform, the most you know impressive digital media dynamic that the, the world has ever seen from an advertising perspective, from a data gathering personal perspective, um, and really enabling that ad targeting and, and you know kind of media side of things. Um, but over the last year, we've seen their stock move based on this. We've seen lots of commentary everywhere from government to to um, advertising to big business um, and small business thinking about how do you leverage this platform, but also is it getting too big? Yeah. Yeah. And to your point with regulatory issues, there's definitely a lot more scrutiny um, from DC on the tech industry and specifically, you know, kind of the, the, the big five, if you will, uh, how much power is wielded um, by Amazon, by Google, by Apple, by Facebook, Microsoft, et cetera. Um, so definitely a lot of eyes, understandably so, when you have um, the over 2 billion users active on your platform uh, on, on Facebook. And again, to your point, and we talked about uh, just recently, the connection of those three backend platforms from a messaging perspective, just to remind everyone, Facebook owns WhatsApp and Instagram. And so they've recently connected those backends of their messaging 
tools, which seems perhaps innocuous and kind of TBD as to what that will actually lead to. But this feeds into a lot of these discussions that are coming up now around privacy. And you know, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, of course, talking about um, sort of a switch in philosophy. Yeah. So they unveiled a new vision for the company. And it's this big announcement on how they're starting to think about Facebook differently. But it is interesting timing based on what you just mentioned about, you know, them combining the backend platforms of, again, the three largest social media networks in the world and thinking about how do how do these different things come together and with them taking um, the the kind of affiliate pricing off of gaming so that gaming can explode on the Facebook platform and Messenger, which is part of Facebook, um, taking such a forefront with chatbot development and all the rest of these things um, and starting to look at, you know, what, what does Facebook really need to do to move forward, right? They've been in this business for a long time now. Everyone's kind of questioning, where's the next innovation come from? They haven't really innovated in a while, Instagram being the biggest growth opportunity for them. But again, an acquisition and them actually growing because they're stealing things from Snapchat and others, where does Facebook start to innovate? And is this the next step for them? Yeah. And I think there's a couple of things going on here. I think that they are needing to innovate, number one, because I think there is um, a movement away from this broadcast mentality, this sort of hmm. um, spray and pray, or I'm going to share the same thing with everybody and hope sure. um, that it resonates with all of them, or even hope, frankly, that I'm going to reach them, whether I'm a brand, small business, or even individual very unlikely it's going to reach everyone that's following or um, um, friends with me. So I think there's that. There's this notion of like, you know, many platforms are pivoting away from that very public broadcast to more of a private kind of one-to-one or one-to-small. Um, and I think we, we talked about this before. We see this with the surge in Facebook groups, right? Because that's kind of a, yeah, it sort of yeah. speaks to that. Yeah. Um, but I also think this is a response to all of the scrutiny on Facebook and the fact that there has been all of these privacy leaks, all of these issues of Cambridge Analytica two years back. I mean, there's one thing after the next. There's no way that he couldn't address this. Yeah. So the announcement really is thinking, you know, they're coming out saying, as Zucker was saying, is that, you know, they're on this phase of becoming a private messaging platform, saying the messaging in the future. So if you go in the app store right now, I literally last yesterday, uh, you just kind of interest on kind of where some things are at. Messenger, Facebook Messenger is the number one downloaded app, period. Not only just in social media, but wow. overall, right? Sitting above Facebook, sitting above everything else in the app store. So messaging itself, especially Facebook Messenger, dominant, right? And you think about the fact that globally, WhatsApp, major messaging platform, mm-hmm. huge opportunity for them. When they added Instagram DM, right? And what they're going to look at doing with that, huge potential there. And then starting to formalize everything from business chat and communication on the messaging side and enabling businesses to communicate better with consumers. There really is an opportunity here for what they're saying and, uh, you know, combining these backend pieces, but also then thinking about how do you build that out? So it's so much better in terms of uh, end-to-end encryption and all the rest of the pieces that come into the mix that need to happen to enable that platform uh, more specifically. Yeah. And and I, I think that the obvious play here is, is eventual monetization. I think that's the pattern that we've seen with many social properties, Facebook included. It's an often build first based on what the consumer trends are or, uh, you know, perhaps this is PR spin, but sort of what what the market is asking for, you know, optimize and then figure out how to monetize. And so I see this as really that stage number one. 
Um, but there's no question it will eventually be monetized. And I think that people are going to be much more willing to, for example, give their banking data or their credit card data or even further personal information if they feel like it is private, it is more encrypted, all the things that we already see happening with WeChat, which we'll get to in a minute, in China. Um, I think that's where this is headed. Yeah, it's a good call out. So, so if you think about the fact that Facebook, in a lot of cases, already has some payment information for you because people transfer payments already a little bit like Venmo mm-hmm. through Facebook. Um, they also have gaming set up, which, you know, kind of micropayment system already set up through there. Um, you know, for them to really take it to the next level, you really have to have end-to-end encryption and get to that point where it's so much more secure that people would feel comfortable with having their financial information in there. Um, but I think we've talked about this before. The next level of that, which is which is really attractive for Facebook, is that it's sitting in its own environment, right? They are outside of, once you have Facebook, once you have Messenger, they're outside of the Apple App Store. They're existing in that environment, but it's wholly owned by Facebook. So they don't have to pay any tax to Apple, like Spotify is you know, protesting yep. now in the EU yep. and filing a lawsuit against Apple to get that removed. There's no... There's no issue because Facebook wholly owns you in that environment, which is really, it feels like from what we've discussed, where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. And again, going back to just the massive user base they have across their three owned platforms, Facebook, WeChat, sorry, Facebook, um, WhatsApp, and Instagram, the anything they build, um, whether it's monetization through messaging, um, or uh, being able to peer to peer, you know, um, sharing of, of currency, all those things are are going to be so much stickier because you're going to have this sense that all of your friends are already there. The targeting is amazing from a business perspective. Like the the body and the population of people is so great that it, they almost could innovate anything, and if they can just get it right, they already have this population waiting to receive it. Yeah. But the key is if they get it right. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, right? Because you already have payments being transferred via WhatsApp in other countries, and that's much bigger than it is here in the U.S. Um, you know, commerce is part of Instagram, huge, right? They've introduced a lot of mm-hmm. opportunities for yep. people to be able to build their feeds in and monetize, you know, photos, right? And the photo recognition ability oh, that Facebook has, you start to see how these things start to come together and really be able to enable not only a commerce, a full commerce platform, but also the payments piece as part of that, whether it's P2P and or to business, um, that, you know, becomes so much more fluid once there's a private encrypted environment. Yeah. One thing that's interesting that this Wired article, which we'll, we'll reference in our show notes, uh, mentions though, is, and, and kind of a bit of a deviation from this strategy is this notion that Facebook's been invested in, in AI, artificial intelligence for a number of years. Um, and, the fact that in order for AI or machine learning to work, you need a lot of data on people. Um, and so uh, sort of this is kind of like almost a subtopic, but an interesting one. If they start to limit this kind of broadcast mentality, this sort of all-knowing of data and make it more private, make it more small, are they going to hinder their efforts in developing out AI? I'm sure there's more going on there that we don't know about, but that's it's a little bit of a um, contradiction, if you will, to what you would think they'd want to do, which is to continue to generate loads of data to build their AI and machine learning tools. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so overall, this seems like a big natural next step for them. They have to tie their platforms together. Um, they have to make this more accessible to business. They have to encrypt it because otherwise businesses are not going to feel comfortable being there, um, nor are people, especially with so much going on around hacking and the rest of that. Um, but this really you know, comes down to who owns you, right? And this is where we start to talk about the transition to WeChat. And, you know, 
does this become the end of the free internet where Facebook, because of their ubiquity, 1.5, you know, 1.52 billion users daily actives on a global basis, Mm -hmm. you know, daily, as they start to take this over, does this become the internet that we know? Yeah. Like, does this become the operating environment for everyone on a daily basis? You know, for every type of transaction, whether you walk into Starbucks, whether you're buying a shirt, you know, whatever you're looking at. Yeah. And actually, it's funny that you you put it that way. Does Facebook kind of become the internet? In a lot of countries, India is a great example of this, but in a lot of countries um, where perhaps folks don't even have desktop laptop, none of that. Mm, It's all phone. It's all mobile. Right. Um, Literally, Facebook is the way they access the internet. So that actually is the reality in certain countries right now. I'm not saying all of India is that way, but there are big populations across the world where Facebook is truly the way that people are accessing the internet. And so you bring up a great topic, which is, um, uh, which was spoken about at, at depth in this business insider article that we read. And I actually have some personal experience having traveled to China a little bit for work, mm. which is, which is the notion of WeChat. And we've, again, we've referenced WeChat a little bit. We haven't had a deep dive episode on it because it's, it's accessible in the U S but it's not highly used. It's rooted in China, um, heavy usage in Southeast Asia, but WeChat, um, is a super app. It's almost an operating system. It's, sort of the way it's you know described in this article, it's kind of the modern world. Yeah. Which is kind it's of a hard. platform in itself. Yeah. yeah. It's like its own ecosystem that exists. Yeah. And and there's been things written about I mean quotes from from Mark Zuckerberg about how that's sort of the aspiration, let's call it. Yeah. Um so the idea of transitioning to more of a messaging kind of private small group environment, adding things like privacy and encryption. Um, already dabbling, as you said, in the monetization, being able to, to send payments and perhaps, you know, making that more sophisticated and more ubiquitous. All of those things are leading us to believe that he's aiming for a WeChat type scenario. So let's just talk for a minute about what WeChat is, because I know not everyone is. Yeah, most people probably aren't familiar. So WeChat, it's a mobile app only. Again, built out of China, but accessible globally. It's just much of it's not in in, in English. Um, but it really um, brings together a bunch of different functionality into this single super app. So, of course, it's social from a messaging and small group perspective. You can make restaurant reservations. You can pay bills. You can send people money. You can um, pay a parking ticket. You can hail a cab or their version of Uber. Um, you can um, get your credit checked. You can apply for a mortgage. Oh, that's cool. Like you, I didn't know that. It's that's, got that's dating app cool. component. It, it really it, <laughs> it does so many things. Yeah. But what's phenomenal, and I can speak to this from, from having tried to use it over there, um, is that the way in which it uh, was set up was that Everyone in China has a Chinese ID, kind of like our driver's license would be here, a social security card type thing. And you plug in your Chinese ID into WeChat. And then, of course, you add in whatever credit card or debit card you want. Um, And that's then the way you can do everything. Yeah. But if you don't have both a Chinese ID Mm. um, as well as a a credit card that functions in China, um, then you, you can use WeChat for like all the social elements, but you can't actually hail that Uber. You can't actually send people money. Mm. You can't do a lot of the things that people love to do. And and it was fascinating. Like we were there, a group of us, and we all had WeChat. We thought we were fine. We all had regular credit card, you know, all the things. And we like we stood at a corner for 45 minutes and watched 
everyone else get into cars and we couldn't get anyone to stop for us. Um, taxi cabs just kept flying by wow. and we couldn't figure it out. And we're like, it's because they're calling them through WeChat yeah. and we can't do that because we don't have Chinese IDs. Now, I, I should just caveat, that was two years ago. It may be that it has evolved. Perhaps other countries now can work interchangeably. But all I know is that it really is this super app where it becomes frictionless to do almost everything in China when you have WeChat. So even if you're not someone who considers yourself, um, you know, part of Gen Y, Gen Z, sort of like early, any of those things, you, you inherently need to know how to use WeChat to kind of get through the world. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about that, right, is like China's got a completely different model. They want to know everything that's happening with the citizens, right? And uh, tangent, there was this interesting article this week about how this hacker found a database of uh, Chinese women that are breed ready. And they actually had that as a flag in the system, which who knows? Wait, 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 what are they? Breed? Breed. B-R-E-E-D. Like ready? Because they actually have like a, they have a fertility problem in China. Right. And they're, they're like, is the government flagging people that are ready so they can move them along? Maybe in the dating app wow. side of WeChat, right? Yeah. To kind of push that along because they're trying to continue. But that's where it starts to get really interesting from the kind of governmental interference perspective. And China is completely built around that. You almost wonder if some of the regulatory pressure that, you know, is coming on the U.S. side is, is twofold, right? Because there's some of this concern that, you know, maybe maybe consumer privacy, consumer, you know, rights advocacy, right? The things that you and I talk about um, is, is a little scary because Facebook starts to own so much mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. From the separate side, if the government comes in and says, hey, you know what? Why don't we just tap a little bit of this, right? Like, and maybe they don't even talk about it. Then all that oversight starts to happen anyway. And then we start to look a little bit more like China, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's almost no win situation for the consumer in this scenario because either Facebook wholly owns you or the government plus Facebook owns you. And then we've got this really interesting dynamic of, you know, where does privacy in your data actually sit? Yeah. And we've seen examples of where this has come up in the U.S., right, where there have been these shootings, right? These terrible incidents that have happened. And there's been these requests for like, Hey, you know, right. Give us access, unlock the phone. Right. And the remember? social networks can see. Yep. Predictive and, and even Apple. There was, remember that, yeah. that whole case a couple of years ago, yeah. I think it was in Southern California actually. Um, but you know, that that's come up a number of times with the tech industry where what is the responsibility, uh, versus that, you know, to sort of help in one of those terrible situations to give access to information about somebody to the government or the, you know, law enforcement to be able to investigate further versus what really should be considered, you know, private and personal and something that's, um, you know, yours to keep. So that's, we're already like dancing around that a little bit, I think with the government in in the U.S. Um, I am really though fascinated by this discussion about the whole monopoly issue and sort of the deregulation of, uh, or I should say the regulation of these huge tech giants. And in fact, there's now um, presidential candidates that are running and talking about this topic. So it's right. actually becoming yeah. a national issue, not just a tech industry issue or a digital marketing issue. Yeah. It's a real thing. And so I'm just so curious to see where this gets into kind of the socio-political sphere outside yeah. of, of, of our of our expertise. But um, it, it's something's going to change. Something's going to change. Yeah. So, so to that point, right, lots of big topics around here. Let's bring it back to the marketing side of things, yep. because I think one of the most compelling pieces of that, aside from all these different elements as a marketer, 
the data that Facebook has is actually very impressive. No other platform has a targeting capability that Facebook does. And by the way, that does extend across not only Facebook, Instagram, and WeChat or uh, WhatsApp, um, but also across the display network that they have, which is larger than Google's. And some mm-hmm. of the capabilities that you have targeting-wise, um, the information that they have is incredibly capable. And so one thing that I'm excited about, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is um, you know, when when the backends actually finally mesh and they have this tied up, the targeting capability for us is going to be ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? And um, and that's where, you know, from a brand, from a business capability, a lot of the tools that they are building is actually going to help us interact with our consumer better. It's mm-hmm. going to help us find our consumer faster. And from that kind of capability side, there's going to be not much that kind of matches up to that because they have so much under their span that, even like a Google or somebody else um, may not have as much capability to be able to match what Facebook has coming. Yeah. Yeah. And this gets into this whole idea that I know Seth Godin is, has kind of coined years ago called permission-based marketing, which frankly, I think permission-based marketing basically is all digital marketing. Um, and effectively, Facebook is the ultimate in permission-based marketing. It's somebody raising their hand and saying, yes, I want to build a profile. Yes, I want to give you all my information. Please continue to talk to me. Um, And businesses can serve me ads. It's all those things um, that indicate permission. Uh, And that's that's a powerful place to be as the platform. And it's also, to your point, kind of a goldmine from a a marketing perspective. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if it continues to fine tune, like for example, you know, time of day, or do they get to the point where they can go, okay, we know demographically and psychographically, this is who you want to target. And then are they also actually more apt to say, buy that t-shirt, that vintage t-shirt, you know, first thing in the morning? after they worked out or is it maybe afternoon coffee? Like, you know, will it get even more refined so that they can actually serve ads to the right people at the right time um, about the right thing that they actually would be interested in buying? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be more interesting from the behavioral side of things because Google can serve me stuff based on context and the keyword type of basis. And they have a lot more of that algorithm coming out with the AI pieces that they have built in. But I think Facebook can see so much more of your behavior than some of the other platforms have because of how many different places they touch and what you're interacting with and the images that they're seeing that you upload to them, which Google does not have access to, which is um, which is really interesting from that kind of whole 360 you and being able to find the right things for you. You know, I'm finding a lot more value in the way Instagram is operating now and what they're servicing to me because it is more relevant, it is targeted. And I think that's the advantage for the consumer is that one, as marketers, we're going to be able to target people so much better and find in ways to reach them in ways we haven't had before. But two, it's offering more value to the consumer ultimately because there's no waste. They're not getting the stuff that they don't want to see. Um, And you know, on occasion, they might be surprised by something that they didn't think that they were going to like, but actually is giving them something that um, is a surprise and delight in a special way for them. Yeah. And and again, I love this word friction. I think this word friction is coming up all the time in conversations. So the notion of social platforms making purchasing frictionless, right? Whether it's because it can do facial recognition and understand, you know, based on this, now we can um, pull in again, commerce data or um, financial information that you've, you know, again, you've given it, of course, given permission to use um, so that I can someday maybe I can see an ad on Instagram or through private messaging on WhatsApp. And I actually can 
hit a button to say bye. It scans my face. It pulls the money out of my credit. I mean, again, it can get to the scary place. Cool, creepy. We'll use our, our favorite headline again, but it also, it also is super frictionless and it makes it so easy to consume, but also as a marketer to actually transact. Well, it may be enjoyable too, right? Like Instagram is enjoyable. That's why it's so fun. It's visual, it's attractive. And if you can help that transaction disappear, it does make it easier for brands to, you know, find the consumer and make that transaction happen um, because it feels part of the experience. It doesn't yep. feel like you're adding something to cart and then doing all this stuff. Yep. If your payment's already in the background, if you've already got this set up and it's visual and it's engaging, it just becomes part of the experience. And then that's what like people start to find value in, right? Because they actually care about what's happening in the moment, yeah. not so much about the the burden of the transaction. Like that's a great. Saying. That's a great way to put it. Actually, the fact that it, it feels seamless and it it's not this burden of like have to I have to leave the environment. I have yeah. to get to the fun part and now go to the you know the transaction. It's a great yeah. word for it. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's definitely the benefit to the consumer. And I mean, again, obviously the trickle out of that is businesses will sell more things if they do it the right way. Yep. And that's what we're all here to do. Sell more things. That's it. Sell more things. <laughs> Sell more things. Sell more things. Sell. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, good chat. I, I think there's a lot that we will see transpire over the next 12 to 18 months with our friend Facebook and all of the entities that it owns. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, again, this is perhaps more of like a philosophical and broader, like sociopolitical discussion we had today, not maybe as sort of in the tactics as some of our other episodes. But, you know, I think key takeaways are... Facebook is not going away as many had been sort of um, uh, 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 sort of hypothesizing the last couple of years. It is, in fact, growing both through acquisition and now we see through actually a pivot in terms of where it's putting its priorities, which is much more around this messaging, private, um, ephemeral. We haven't even really touched on that, but this notion of stories being more and more integrated into Facebook, which we've seen in Instagram. Yeah, on the content side, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Snapchat, of course, which just opens up again, kind of all new interesting things is that becomes more the norm versus like the permanence of sure. the feed. So I think it's continuing to evolve. And um, I think that watching the messaging space uh, and sort of the private kind of group space as a business owner, I think it's going to be really important over the next year or two. Yeah. And I, you know, this is a good time. This is like Facebook 2.0, you yes. know, as it were. So if you are not on Facebook, if, if you are as a business, right, if you are not thinking about Instagram or even like early thoughts about WhatsApp, because there's not really a model there yet, but there is in other countries looking outside of the US for things like that, get involved, right? Think about if you're a product-based brand, what are you doing on Instagram? What are you doing on Facebook? If you're a B2B brand, you don't think there's an opportunity on Facebook, you're wrong because everybody has a Facebook account. Think about how do you drive leads through that because there are ways to do it. If you are a service-based brand, so many opportunities from you know Facebook Live or other things, just start to experiment a little bit or look to other people and, and start to network and think about like what else can you do in this space to get going? Because again, Facebook is not going away to your point. Um, in fact, they may be coming bigger and more cohesive as an entity. And that offers a lot more opportunity for you to find your customer in the right way. So exciting times because they are the biggest and most powerful ad platform globally. And it's just going to get bigger as we go. So yeah. And, and I'll just kind of uh, leave us with a, a, a bit of a, a call to action yeah. for our audience. I know speaking of Facebook and Facebook groups, you know, we, we, um, we've been noodling on the idea of getting more active in Facebook groups. And so, Hey, if you've got questions or topics that you'd like us to discuss, um, in more of a smaller group setting, shoot us an email, let us know. Cause we'd love to kind of evolve into that space ourselves, um, from a social currency perspective. And we want to obviously talk about things that you guys care about. Yeah, absolutely. What's, what's our email talk? 
Info <laughs> at socialcurrencyshow.com. It's, it's a tricky one. <laughs> Info at socialcurrencyshow.com. Yes. Thank you. I usually just click the link. I actually don't always remember the email, so. <laughs> Yeah, if you guys are interested, also check out our site, socialcurrencyshow.com. You can catch up on the latest episodes that we post every week, every Monday. And if you want to get notified, if you don't hit the site, sign up for our email address, info at socialcurrencyshow.com. And check Jess and I out at Tuck Ross or at Jessica Gay Jensen on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That's right. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. And we will chat with you next week. Jess, so good with you to be with you in person. I know. Loving this. And uh, we'll have to do it again soon. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.